Welcome back to another episode of the Find Your Prime podcast. Thanks for joining. Today, Tyler and I talk about all the things movement related to help you move safely. And what are some of the prerequisites that we think are important to be able to do before you do certain movements like push-ups, pull-ups, deadlifts, squats, etc.? In addition, what we want to make you aware of is that coming up shortly, we are rebooting our Elevate program, which we are going to be using our platform and using some of the group programming that we use in our in-person classes on a regular basis and bringing it to you. Stay tuned for more information on that, and we'll see you on the other side. Let's go. Yeah. You ready? Let's go. Back. I'm at my, I'm at my, I'm at my prime. Whoa. Uh, have I gone too far? And welcome back to another episode of the Find Your Prime podcast. Tyler just put that sweatshirt on to have some prime gear on. I don't, I doubt he's cold in South Carolina. I had a prime shirt on. I'm freezing in here. <laughs> My girlfriend has the the good old COVID, and the house is cold, so we're we're making do. Oh yeah, that's right. All the bachelor all the bachelorette peoples got COVID. It's like seven or eight out of, out of twelve of them. Yeah, are, and the other five yeah. probably got it too, but they just don't have any symptoms. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, COVID's still alive and kicking here, um, but we're not here to talk about COVID. We're here to talk about some fitness, and um, and talk about. We'll start talking about kind of what's been going on with us since the last time you heard of us and last time we recorded an episode which was exactly one week ago so this weekend tyler had actually did his competition and tyler said i'm gonna go first but i'm not going first tyler's gonna talk about I'm his competition um and well it's very exciting i know tyler had texted me or like right before the competition maybe not right before maybe a day or two to ask a few suggestions on things if so as tyler has evolved when we would go to competitions and people would ask, like, what do you do? And Tyler's like, I don't know. I just do whatever Anthony does. Like, in terms of war- <laughs> warming up, he would, like, follow me around, around like, my shadow and just, like, I'm just going to do what this guy does. He seems to know what he's doing. And he would just follow me around and do that kind of stuff. So even today, even though Tyler and I weren't partners in this competition, he still texted me beforehand, asked for suggestions on his lift attempts. So how did it go? Used to, it was good. Um, I was going to say you used to do some stuff. And I had, like, general ideas because – you know, I, I, I knew about fitness, but I would like try to do what you were doing, but not do what you were doing. So like, <laughs> couldn't really tell that I was trying to do exactly what you were doing, but I mean, yeah, you were my boss and my, my fitness coach. So you know, what else was I supposed to do? But competition went well. It, we ended up having four workouts total in the day. Um, we placed top, top five for all, all of the workouts, you know, somewhere in the top five, um, and finished third in the competition, which was great. About halfway through the competition, though, I was I was cooked, man. It was hot out and humid, and you know, being being out in the sun, even when you're not working out, and being excited watching other people work out, kind of gets the adrenaline up and down, up and down. But finish finish the workout, the workouts um, feeling pretty good, and then you know, I'm still actually recovering. It's Wednesday, competition was on Saturday. I consider myself a fit individual, and I'm still dealing with the the, you could call them repercussions from the competition. So, yeah. And I think a lot of folks don't realize the, 
the impact of a, a really high, kind of like a high level competition. And they think, I know folks will say this to me sometimes, you know, when they first join the gym or they're first starting this style of, of fitness training, it's like, oh, does it ever get easier? And I would, I would dare to say that it, it actually gets worse because you can push yourself to a different level. And I know I think James Fitzgerald of like OPEX uh, references as like, how brightly can you turn your light bulb on? So if you were to think of your central nervous system or your ability to kind of turn your light bulb all the way up, you know, and really crank on that electricity. And if you're not like really experienced with your training age, you know, let's say if we're talking about training age, like how much you've done this style of training, then you can't really turn that light bulb on very much, which means you don't really challenge your central nervous system as much as maybe someone who's a little bit more experienced. So maybe I can crank that light bulb all the way up, which means it takes me a lot longer to recover. And those workouts kind of beat me up even more than if I couldn't turn the light bulb up as high and bright. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would totally agree. You know, you you go to a competition like that, or kind of any you know general population fitness event, and uh, you know everyone looks tired and, and looks like they're they're worked, but uh, there's there's a difference in the way the I guess the people with a longer training age, like those who have been training for longer, there's a difference between what they look like when they're done with a workout versus someone who has been training for a half or a quarter of that time. You know that someone who has more experience, like you were saying, is just able to access more, I guess you could say more potential. They're able to take their body further, use more of their central nervous system, have a, a larger hormonal dump during or after the workout. And it, you know, it's, it's definitely visible. And for me, it was, it was definitely feel feelable if you may. Yeah. Sure. And then the recovery, obviously still feeling it five days later. That's what that that's what that turns into. You know, it doesn't turn into be like, Hey, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and feel great. And I'm going to go do this again. So that recovery part of it is super important as well. I mean, some, some athletes, some people just like you and I, even some of my clients, when they come off of something like this, whether it be a CrossFit competition, a powerlifting competition or a marathon, you know, there is more than a day, more than a week of, of recovering per se, right? The workouts are, different in intensity, different in, in, in length or shorter. Um, I've had clients that we, we take upwards of two to three weeks to get back to anywhere close to the training intensity that they had before the event. You know, what always fascinated me too, and uh, Tyler can probably, we can both kind of talk about this a little bit, but in high school football, I played every snap of every play of everything. Right. And then, so I was on kickoff, I was on kick return, I was on offense, I was on defense. I pretty much was on the field the whole entire game. And I wouldn't be that sore the next day. Maybe I have a little headache because I probably had a couple of concussions that weren't a big deal back then. <laughs> and we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s. It was like, oh, you got your bell rung, you know, whatever. But then when I went to college, I only played defense and I played about half the game and I would wake up so sore the following day. Um, when I would play, get a lot of reps in, get a lot of plays. Um, but did you experience anything similar? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, some of it could probably be age and just not caring. And, you know, in high school, you, you were just like so excited to do all the things. But, you know, for sure played most of the entire game. Felt felt like waking up Saturday morning like you could maybe do it again Saturday night. Uh, but then getting into college, even practice, you know, there were some days in practice, especially in during training camp, but even in the middle of the year, 
both games and practice, I would wake up the next day feeling like, man, I don't even want to go to study hall right now because, you know, because my body hurts so much. And it's like what we were saying before, you know, being older, being more experienced, but also having less time on the field means you almost have more, like more gas in the tank to put forth those, the less amount of efforts and you go harder, you hit harder. Yeah. I I think that's part of it too. Like people can go there, you know, people are a little bit faster people have a little bit more, you know, gas in the tank to go harder at a little higher intensity. Maybe in high school, maybe you're working at like, you know, towards the end of the game, maybe you're working at like 65% effort because you're so, you're you're so like really, you're gassed. You just don't realize it. You know, you're just excited to be playing football. And then in college, (laughs) your every rep is a thousand miles an hour and the person in front of you is doing the same thing and your collisions are more impactful. You know, everything is just a little bit more impactful and potentially detrimental to your body you know so yeah, yeah so i wouldn't the say potentially definitely, definitely detrimental to your body I'm for still- sure i mean you, you got a concussion and you got up and they would actually hit you on the helmet yeah. like you know insult to injury and say like yeah you know go go sit down grab some water like that was going to do anything for you and then hope you were okay in like five minutes and yeah. put you back on the field yeah so yeah so competition's over talking about how body feels a little bit in terms of my life updates, um, we're got a lot of things going on. Um, but in terms of fitness, I, I'm still going strong. This is our, this is our mid, like midterm, I guess, cycle of our athlete performance program. So we do it's eight weeks, and we do two four week cycles. And this is kind of the end of that first four weeks. We've been building up to doing a like ten eight six four two kind of pyramid type type thing where we're building up and even I've only been lifting which is interesting to me not super interesting I guess but I traditionally would lift six days a week and follow our our class program I shouldn't say six days a week because Wednesdays are our, our recovery active recovery kind of core and cardio days in our gym setting but what we would do is um, I would lift probably five times a week and now I'm only lifting three times a week and I'm doing a little bit more running because that's what the protocol is for right now for our athletes, a little bit more running to get in shape cardio wise and just like, you know, joint resilience and, and tendon resilience, all that kind of stuff. So they can go out and further camp when it's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I've been following that, that along pretty good. And I've been hitting numbers that are you know pretty good. I just hit 275 for two on a bench pretty comfortably i didn't have a spotter i had my my tent my seven-year-old spotting me not really she was like watching me asking me how much weight was on the bar so i did it without a spotter and i felt comfortable enough to be able to do that you know i hit two 265 for two in a front squat which tyler knows that's like my arch nemesis and usually a very big struggle lift for me all the lifts and all my things are still you know really good and i feel good and you know we're still operation trying to dunk so we'll see how that goes tonight because that's basketball tonight's basketball night and i've been participating in speed camp with kids and i've been doing conditioning with the groups most of the time all the things fitness related are all revolved around just being a better athlete and i feel i feel more athletic but my joints and things are older than they used to be when I used to do this stuff more regularly. So what I'm feeling right now is just the impact of the volume of running, the volume of more high intensity running. So if you're familiar with like a functional fitness or CrossFit style, most of the time when you run, 
It's more of like a jog, maybe a fast jog for a 400 on an interval type thing, but you're never really sprinting full out or you're never really changing direction hard or doing those sorts of things. So when I'm doing them now, I definitely feel the residual impact of those. So the ankles are a little stiffer or a little bit more achy than usual. The knees are a little bit more achy than usual. But other than that, I mean, overall, I feel pretty good. Just those joints from the impact and the pounding that I'm, my body is just not used to are feeling a little bit achier than, I guess, normal fitness routine type stuff. Have you gotten embarrassed by any of the, the athletes yet? No. I would argue to say that they're not athletic enough or fast enough to be able to do that at this point in their careers. Yeah, And some of the high-level athletes that we do have, not to knock the females at all, um, but they're female soccer players. And I find female soccer players in general aren't shifty. They're fast, but they're not like – they don't have that like side-to-side shiftiness that maybe like a, a football running back or a basketball player might have. I don't have any basketball players necessarily or, or I have some football guys, but they're just on the younger end. And I think that the soccer girls are fast straight ahead and they're good at that kind of thing. Um, but the shiftiness I don't think is, is necessarily part of their repertoire because they don't really need it in their, their sport as much as like a running back or a wide receiver who has to change directions fast and hard and stuff like that. Like shifty or not, some of those girls look like savages. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're great athletes. You put on the stories and the posts. I mean, it's great to watch those girls and guys like throw around some weight and do some funky stuff there. Yeah. I know that they're all excited because the next cycle is going to have trap bar deadlifts. They all, everyone loves trap bar deadlifts and they're going to see some pretty big numbers. I'm sure. Like we had some, some pretty big front squats. Like one of our, our college athletes, I think she hit like 155 for a pretty easy two on a front squat. Our, our, we have an, a freshman boy who hit a pretty solid, like 205 for two and he's not oh, really nice. big. And it was, a, it was a solid 205. He could have probably done more. You know, so we have some pretty big numbers in that, those front squats too, which is, is really cool to see athletes just progress. And you see everything go with it. You know, all, all of their speeds are improving. You know, we tested the broad jump. We've done some other things where you just see stuff gradually improving. And some kids are making some really big improvements. And that's what the, the important thing to see. And as long as we're keeping them healthy and making improvements, it's, it's a win-win. We are done talking about our lives, but I'm sure that will come up during today's topic. But we decided to discuss like the prerequisites for kind of the, the general movement patterns or the most common movements, you know, we see within our gym, but in most gyms, like you see people doing push-ups and pull-ups and squats and deadlifts. And we wanted to talk about kind of what's, what's required from your body in order to be able to do things, do those things repetitively, do them well, feel good while you do them. So we will start with the push-up because it's first on our list. And what do you think is, you know, what are some of like the prerequisites to be able to do a push-up well and repetitively? So what's kind of funny is that we, in, a, in the gym today, we had a, a body saw and we had hollow rocks as part of our core today. And what mm-hmm. you find is that a lot of people, just initially, before we even talk about like using your arms at all, don't know how to get their, their core and their pelvis in like the proper positions. You know, that hollow position or that kind of like, it's hard to explain, but if you're if you're familiar with a like cat cow position, um, where you're you know in all on all fours and you're arching your back hard, which would be like that cow position, and the cat would be like you know like an angry cat, and you have that super rounded back, yeah. you know like those cat positions. Um, but that cat position is what we would also call is like that hollow position, 
right? So that's what we would say is like our hollow. If you were to flip on your back and try to mimic that cat position, that would be our hollow position. A lot of folks struggle on like learning how to like move their pelvis into from what we would call anterior tilt and posterior tilt. So if mm-hmm. you were to take your pelvis as a bowl of water and you were to tip the bowl so the water would come out of your belly button, that would be anterior tilt, right? And if you were to do the back, do the opposite. If you were to tip your pelvis so the water would come out of your your backside, right? That would be a posterior tilt. So <laughs> what people struggle with is to get into that posterior tilt a lot, right? When a lot of folks are in that anterior, that posterior is the hard part, and then that's where we have to engage our core a little bit more to be able to get there. So just learning how to plank and move your 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 body in that way, I think, is going to be step number one for most folks and be able to hold a good solid plank. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. And it's probably going to be a theme moving through all the the patterns we discussed today, you know, being able to hold your body one in in any position for a long enough amount of time against gravity, but having that, that optimal position at your, your torso and your hips or your pelvis. So you can transfer energy through your legs and your arms appropriately in order to move your body or move the thing. So a, a, a nice plank on your hands for at least, I would say, you know, 60 seconds is is a good prerequisite for being able to do push-ups from the ground. Yeah, I would agree. And and the plank is going to be so when we see folks struggle with push-ups, they don't traditionally struggle at their arms. You know, when when I think FMS has a, a push-up test and they want to see if you're like snaking up, right? Like if mm-hmm. you're, you know, like doing that kind of worm where you're pushing your chest up but your hips stay down and then you come up after. They want to see you move in one straight line. And a cue that I got from Nick Winkleman a long time ago was like head to heel, strong as steel, right? So you want to be in a solid piece of steel from head to heel, right? And if you have any breaks in it or any waves in it, then you're you're running into trouble. So usually the breaks happen at the low back, which shows that you might have a little uh, core weakness there that you might have to address through some some planks. I would agree. Just a quick thought on regressing or modifying the push-up. We're not going to talk about modifications for all of them. We may, but when it comes to the push-up, I think a common modification is putting the knees down to the ground so that you're still on the ground. Um, They typically call it like a girl push-up, right? So there's a lot of things wrong with it in general, aside from the name. But when we put the knees down onto the ground for a push-up, we take away that challenge at the core, the lower back, and the legs. So a better modification would be to just elevate the upper body. Put your hands up on on a bench, on a box, even some rings or TRX straps. Elevate your body. You're still in a nice straight line. You're still challenging the core. And it's way easier to measure if you're improving because all you have to do is lower the elevation. Drop your hands down another couple of inches. Great, you're getting stronger. Instead of kind of going back and forth from knees to standard push-up to knees, it it gets confusing and and ultimately it's going to take way longer. Yeah, and it's just it's just physics, right? So if you have a short lever off your knees, it makes it easier than if you're doing off the long lever from your feet. And then, you know, like Tyler was saying, like the easiest way to progress the push-up is to have a squat rack and you put the barbell on the J-hooks. And then each, you know, if you can do 10, you lower it down, right? You know, if you can do an easy 10, that's, what, that's just kind of my rule of thumb for my younger athletes who struggle. If they can do 10 at that height, I lower it down a notch or two. Usually those 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 uh circles or holes on the on the squat rack are usually about an inch and a half two inches each thing and if they're kind of crushing them out i'll go down two holes you know and then keep gradually get there until they can do a push-up off the floor perfect 
So in line with the push-up, right, which is kind of pushing out in front of your body, next we're on the list, we've got the overhead press. So for sure in the same, you know, in the same category, you want to have enough core strength, enough stability at your midsection in order to simply just push weight over your head, right? But before that, you should be able to lay on your ground, lay on the ground on your back and put both arms up overhead, right? As if you were kind of like doing a snow angel so that your thumbs touch the ground and you should have no pain, no pain, no limitations in that position. Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No pain and limitation, but also keeping your lower back in that pseudo hollow yeah. position. I don't know if Tyler was going to yeah. get there, but very, very well I, jumped, yeah. I jumped the gun a little bit. So we want to not have that anterior toe. Like if I'm watching you from the side and I, and you do that and I can see a space through your lower back or I can slide my hand through your lower back to the other side, then you're, you're losing that core stability and then you're cheating the movement from your lower back and now you're not using it from your shoulders. Yeah. So the push up. You know, we didn't have as much range of motion where like your joints need to be able to move well. I mean, that still matters, but it's not often a limitation for people. But with the overhead press, super common, right? People can't reach up over their head without having that pain. So laying someone down on their back, reaching up overhead, getting their thumbs to touch the ground is a great way to see it. Now, someone may have that full range, but like Anthony said, the ribs are all flared, the back is archy, and they can't touch the ground without doing that, then we need to make some corrections there. So I would still have the plank as a prerequisite for overhead pressing. I would have being able to reach over your head fully as a prerequisite for overhead pressing. And then I would probably say being able to, you know, being able to do an overhead press in like a, a seated or half kneeling position with a good amount of weight before you go to standing. Because when you're closer to the ground, you have less of a stability need or rather you're more stable right? Because you're using your legs in a different way. You're using that seat to stabilize you. So I would say being able to press overhead well from a seated or a half kneeling position before you go to standing. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I would throw another mobility exercise in there too, which is like that sideline, like thoracic rotation. Um, so if you're laying on, the, on your side, like in the fetal position, trying to rotate and I kind of like open the book with your arms and trying to get your shoulders flat on the floor, what you might find and in, in most people who struggle with the overhead press also struggle with this mobility drill or exercise. And what you might find there, similar to the overhead one that Tyler had explained, you might find some big discrepancies from right to left. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we have like these big discrepancies from right to left, we open ourselves up for potential pain or injury down the road. Well, you certainly can overhead press and you certainly can deadlift and do all these things without the prerequisites. But when you do them over time, you're just opening like uh, these opportunities for pain and injury from your body getting challenged in a positions that they're not prepared to do at that volume or level. So this is when we're telling you these things, we're just saying them as, you know, kind of like a, a red flag, you know, it doesn't say mean that you, you can't ever do these and, and that you, you know, like you're never going to be able to press in your whole life or you're never going to be able to deadlift. But if you do these things, you should know what the consequences are and also know ways in which you can make, you know, you can mitigate some of that risk by doing some of these things or having these prerequisites can help perform better, have actually make exercise more fun, you know, and just enjoy the process a lot better without pain or injury. Very, very well said. So let's move to the pull-up and I'll let you start this one. Prerequisites for the pull-up. Pull-up can also correlate well with 
the press, overhead press, because if you're just working on some passive hanging, I think passive hanging is going to be my first kind of a go-to thing. Can you hang, right? Can you hang from a pull-up bar for an extended period of time? And I think Idle Portal has like a hanging protocol. He was um, Connor McGregor's coach for a long time, and he does like a lot of animal ground-based movements, and he has like a hanging protocol, and it was two minutes two minutes. And this is kind of like the protocols for a lot. Everything's like two minutes. If you can plank for two minutes, if you can do a swords and holds for two minutes, if you can hang for two minutes, it's kind of like a good baseline to give you that you have the grip strength, the, the shoulder stability around your scapula and all that kind of stuff to be able to handle more. So I would say like just passive hanging would be also, it's great for wrist, elbow and shoulder health in general, but it also shows that you have the strength and prerequisites to be able to actually pull yourself up. Yeah, I like that. This isn't so much of a prerequisite for pull-ups, but it's something I've found to be effective um, with folks who can't do a lot or can't do any pull-ups. We, we regress or we modify it down to like the rack pull-up. So that's where you, like Anthony was talking about with the push-ups, you put the barbell in the J-hooks kind of halfway um, the height of you. You put a bench or a box out in front of you and put your feet up on the box or the bench and you almost use your legs to help you get that you can help you do that pull up. And I like it because it allows you to add some assistance where it's needed, but it really allows you to just feel what it's like to be that close to the bar, to have your chest touching the bar, have your shoulders pinned back behind you. I think a prerequisite for being able to do pull ups is knowing what a pull up feels like. And the only way to do that is to regress it somehow. And I feel like the, the rack pull is a great way to do that. Yeah, I know banded pull-ups are very popular in certain gym spaces. I'm not a huge fan of the banded pull-up, and I think similar to how Tyler was talking about with uh, the knee push-ups, banded pull-ups are very hard to make scalable or to know that you're making progress with. Mm -hmm. While bands are good, you know, depending on if it's a brand new band or an old band or what brand of band it is. Some are just cut a little thinner than the others. So you never really have a real, I wish you, we did, but you don't really have like a hundred percent gauge of how it is. And then sometimes you can bounce and cheat a little bit. So I'm not a super big fan of the band assisted variations. I'd rather see you doing what Tyler's talking about, like the rack pull-ups or, you know, maybe like a bicep curl could be a great, like I don't have a specific number of like what the bicep curl would look like, but obviously those carry over to the same movements and the same muscle groups and patterns that, that are working on the, the bicep or not the bicep on the, on the pull-up. So, and then you can work on hanging. Um, carries are a great thing also. Like if you struggle with hanging because you know, your grip strength isn't there yet, you can always carry, do farmer's carries to work on the grip strength and the shoulder stability in a similar fashion. And it's much more, and it's scalable too. Like we're, we always want to have something that we know that we're making progress mm -hmm. and carries, you know, today, maybe I carry a 25 pound dumbbell tomorrow. I carry a 30 and then 35 then 40. And then once I get to something that's relatively close to my body weight, now I can try to hang from a pull-up bar. And, you know, you start seeing these things kind of correlate in, into more progressions into being able to do uh, the things that you might want to do. Yeah, I like that. I'm kind of a, a, a guidelines guy, a numbers guy because of being a physical therapist. So I do like to have some numbers. So for those of you who, who like that, I have found that making a goal of being able to hold yourself at the top of a pull up for at least 10 seconds and separately being able to do a, a slow eccentric pull-up where you start at the top and lower yourself down for 10 seconds are two awesome goals that put you way, way closer to being able to do a regular pull-up. So 
as simple, instead of doing your three sets of 10 of banded pull-ups, you could simply do three sets of five pull-up holds where you just step up to the top of the bar, hold yourself there for five seconds and be done with it. Now, if you're doing in a group class setting, of course, you might have to do the, the rack pull-ups or ring rows or, or even banded, you know, if you need to, but just for some, some guidelines for you there. So I know I, we talked about it, but we should come up with some by play around with see if we can come up with some bicep curl, some like full range bicep curl variations that like a weight that relative to body weight could be a good, could be a good goal. I think, I think it'd be it. tough for some folks, but you know, let's see if I weigh one ninety, what would be a good, yeah, good, what would luck. be a good, good barbell curl that would I'd have to not be able to do pull ups I guess to make this a good, well you could, a good yeah. valid test. You could test it out with some of the members and stuff. Uh, we could take a look For at sure. it. Stand by. Next year, we'll have some numbers. Yeah, we'll have some some bicep curl numbers. And not cheaty bicep curl either. So this is like one of my biggest pet peeves is when we program bicep curls and nobody goes to full full uh, extension of the elbow. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing on pull-ups, right? So when we do pull-ups, a lot of folks who struggle with overhead press, when they, they don't like to go get their arm all the way locked out, at the top or the bottom of the pull-up and the same thing on bicep curls you want to get that elbow all the way locked out and i think i learned this from like charles poliquin is that when you want to see the end range of emotion or at least the like the straightening of a movement if i'm trying to do a bicep curl try to flex your tricep that that way you know you're at the end of your at the end of range of motion so you can't like flex your tricep right and have your elbow still bent no confirmed yeah you can't do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's your elbow. That's literally what your tricep does. It extends at your elbow. Um, so when you're at the bottom of the uh, bicep curl, like squeeze your triceps to lock out your elbows, and then come back and do your next rep. That'll inf that'll enforce that kind of straight arm uh, bottom position to make sure you're in the right, getting the full like range it. of motion. Range of motion. Let's use the range of motion topic to slide into the next movement. So prerequisites um, for the deadlift. Yeah, and, and this will be our last one for this this episode. And we have some more. Well, yeah, we'll touch upon next. And uh, so the deadlift obviously has such a bad rap, and I feel so bad for the deadlift. I really do, um, because I love deadlifting, and I think it's one of my favorite movements, mainly because I'm not really good at squatting, but I love the deadlift. And I think that folks struggle with it and are scared of it. And I think a lot of times there was something that came out on the radio yesterday and i'm driving to the gym and they said 50 percent of people in the world or maybe just the united states i forgot what it was cannot touch their toes wow so 50 percent of the people should not deadlift right because we're going to say one of the prerequisites is that you should be able to touch your toes and not like after you're warmed up and you foam rolled and stretched and did all this thing you should be able to stand up right where you are right now legs locked squeeze the knees and reach for your toes and be able to touch your toes. If you cannot, then you have some work to do. And you probably shouldn't be deadlifting from yeah. the ground. Yeah. You shouldn't be deadlifting from the ground. Now you can deadlift off, you know, like you can do rack pulls or you can, you know, we have what's called a DC blocks at the gym that are two inch blocks that are meant to bring the ground closer to you to make it, make it safer for you to deadlift. But you should not be deadlifting from the ground because you, again, open that door for potential pain or injury. So I have way more that we can talk about with the deadlift, but I'm going to actually use this as a nice little uh, hook for y'all to listen to the next episode. 
and we'll dive into the deadlift way more. We'll dive into the squat. We'll dive into running and some, some more plyometric stuff like we did a few episodes ago. Hopefully you've got some good takeaways as far as what maybe you need to work on to improve certain movements, how you can adjust certain movements, um, whether we're talking about for yourself or for a client of yours and uh, look forward to talking about all the other, other things in the, uh, in the next episode. Oh, you're leaving them hanging like that. Leaving them hanging. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's like a, it's like a suspense. The suspense for the next episode. So I guess from now until then, if you can't touch your toes, that's where you should start. <laughs> be on your path to find your prime. Till next time. Later. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Find Your Prime podcast. As usual, we would love to hear your comments and feedback. Give us some five-star reviews to help us help more people find their prime. If you want to get in touch with Tyler or myself, remember the best way to do that would be on Instagram. Mine is at A Mercurio, M-U-C-U-R-I-O. And Tyler's is at TylerCalasi.bpt. Till next time. Hey, hey, I'm at my prime. Whoa. Said I'm at my prime.